This episode is sponsored by a donor to Global Wellness Institute, or GWI. GWI is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to empower wellness worldwide by educating the public and private sectors about preventative health and wellness. GWI's research, programs, and initiatives have been instrumental in the growth of the $4.5 trillion U.S. dollar wellness economy and in uniting the health and wellness industries. Visit globalwellnessinstitute.org. In this episode, we have Darren Davidson. Darren was born in South Africa but migrated with his family when young to Canada. He earned a bachelor's degree and MD from the University of Ottawa, having decided in high school that medicine would be his calling. Given his passion for sports while growing up, Darren was drawn to orthopedic surgery. He practiced for a number of years and decided to take a break to launch a consulting practice to aid other physicians in grappling with burnout and to facilitate patients in integrating a more holistic approach to their care. For physicians, he advocates adopting a paradigm employed by airline pilots where the amount of time spent flying and amount of off time is closely regulated. Darren, thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks so much for having me, Asim. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Well, that's really wonderful. I was very impressed with your, your background as a physician and your critique of the practice of, of medicine. Um, I think it's, it's very healthy um, to, to talk about those. But uh, before we dive into those topics, uh, I want to start at the beginning. Um, you were born and raised in Canada? Well, I was raised in Canada. I actually was born in Johannesburg, South Africa. Um, my okay. parents left there when I was about three months old and they moved to Canada. Um, Their families were all in that area and they did not want to live there anymore because of political reasons and they sure didn't want to raise their family. I'm their first child, although I have a younger brother, but they didn't want to raise their family in that climate. And so knowing nobody in Canada, they got on a boat in South Africa, went to England, and then quickly took a boat across the Atlantic to Canada and set their lives up there. And so though I was not born there, I was raised there um, in the Eastern part of Canada and mostly in Ottawa. Ottawa, sure, the (laughs) capital, yeah, absolutely. Um, So your parents must be Afrikaans speaking. No, they they don't, well, they don't speak it. They might know some of it. My dad in particular, I suspect, just um, from growing up might remember a little bit here and there, but that was never something that was spoken about in yeah. in our home growing up and certainly not a language that, that he speaks now. Gotcha, okay. No, it's, it's wow, fascinating. Um, I understand you did uh, your medical degree, your MD at the University of Ottawa. Was your undergrad there as well? Yes, I did uh, human kinetics or kinesiology, two names for the same type of program uh, before cool. medical school. Yeah. And growing up, Darren, did you always have a sense that you would go into medicine? Not really. Um, I think like many kids growing up, I played sports and always thought I was going to be a professional athlete, at least until the realities in high school uh, set in. (laughs) And was it hockey? Actually, though I'm Canadian, no, it wasn't. (laughs) I I mostly, when I was younger, played, played baseball and then some tennis and then basketball. Okay. Uh, but hockey was never something I played very atypical for a Canadian kid, but <laughs> that's how it was. Yeah. It's uh, you know, I should apologize. It's sort of the go-to stereotype. Uh, oh no. I mean, pretty well, everybody I knew growing up was, was a hockey player. So yeah. I was, I was the one that was the outlier. 
Gotcha. Okay. Um, and were you an avid reader growing up? Uh, yeah, to a degree, I think. Um, I would be interested in a lot of a lot of different um, fiction stuff, like like all kids would be um, in high school. I through playing sports developed an interest in sports psychology, which actually comes to bear later on in the whole story of what led me to where I am now and the work I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. So I did some reading uh, in that field when I was in, in high school, when I was still under the crazy idea that I could be a professional athlete. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I learned a bit about that back then yeah. uh, and then ended up losing, losing touch with a lot of those ideas through college and medical school and, and training and, and all of that. And then it was probably about five or six years ago now that I came back to a lot of the sports psychology ideas because though I didn't realize it at the time, in my clinical practice, I had actually become to some degree burnt out. And and those sorts of feelings that came up just drove me back to the, those sports psychology interests. Mm-hmm. Although it had been about 25 years or so since sure. I'd last looked at that. So in learning about it, reading about it, the, the field had updated and, and evolved a lot. Uh, there was a lot more mindset training, more meditation work, sleep, nutrition. And in learning about all of that, stirred up a passion for what I'm now doing, which is trying to integrate those ideas, those concepts and principles into the healthcare system, not just for patients, but for healthcare professionals as well. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, out of curiosity, when you're looking to be a professional athlete, was there one sport in particular? That you had it was whatever I was playing at the time. I mean, nice. <laughs> this was this was never something that had any degree of realistic potential to it. <laughs> but like many like, kids, you're gonna be like Bo Jackson and play multiple professional sports. <laughs> only in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So um, you're you're at uh, you're doing your undergrad. Um, at what point did you decide while you were studying an undergrad that you would go on to do an MD, or was it afterwards? I was actually before, so it was towards the end of high school that I that I developed an interest in in going into medicine and um, had done a little bit of work with an orthopedic surgeon just to kind of see what the field was about and and really enjoy that and that's what propelled me towards that career path. Well, and I know that there's a strong overlap uh, there with uh, orthopedic surgery and sports. Um, yes. your patients are are often athletes. Frequently, frequently for most <laughs> orthopedic surgeons, they are. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. Um, so then guide us uh, after you finish your MD in Ottawa. I know that you spent some time in Washington State, uh, which is where you reside now. If I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yes. You live just outside Seattle in, in Kirkland. Yeah. So how, did you move there right after med school? So after med school, I went to Vancouver, British Columbia for my orthopedic residency. Uh, and that's typically a five-year program. I also did a master's degree during it and then had two years of what is called fellowship training after finishing my residency, a year in Boston, a year in Toronto, and then came to the Seattle area uh, following completion of all of those years. Gotcha. And so um, uh, you got to Seattle maybe uh, 10 years ago or so? Yeah, roughly 2011. I started there, so yeah, roughly 10 years ago. Got you. And uh, were you also on the faculty at the University of Washington? I was when I started there, up until about two years ago when I stopped 
what I term a traditional clinical practice that people think of for an orthopedic surgeon and started to focus on on what I call these holistic methods um, to improve wellness and health for basically as many people as possible. Sure, absolutely. Well, and I'm very curious about that uh, transition point, Darren. So, um, you know, you referenced burnout. Um, do you think that that was a primary driver in your leaving your clinical practice and academic post? Yeah, I, I think it was. Um, I don't know that I necessarily realized exactly what it was called at the time, yeah. um, but I was working, I would enjoy treating all the patients that I did and, and doing the clinical work, but a lot of the other demands, I think over time had just sort of worn on me and, and took away a lot of the enjoyment, a lot of the fulfillment of the direct patient care. Yeah. And, and so that led me back to the sports psychology ideas I had learned 25 years before that, then getting updated on all of that and seeing the other areas that were now a part of that field really brought this understanding, almost like a light switch and a light bulb going on that, hey, you know, there's all of these really important aspects to our overall health that in the typical healthcare system, we don't do hardly a thing for our patients to educate them or help them incorporate that into their, into their lives. Mm -hmm. And then as healthcare professionals, we don't do that for ourselves either. And here we have this huge problem with burnout amongst all healthcare professionals, really. And we're doing very little true work to try to make that better. Yeah. And if we took these ideas that pretty much every other industry on earth, at least to some degree, has started to incorporate into their day-to-day -day routines. We could promote wellness to a greater degree for our patients, which of course is why we all got into healthcare in the first place. Yeah. And as professionals, if we incorporate these routines, we can work at a higher level, higher performance, which is more fulfilling, that's better for our patients, but we also then by using these these habits and skills, we'll have less of a chance of burnout. So it really is is a win 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 situation across yeah, the board. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a great uh, description and, and overview. I want to dive into some parts of it, um, really to drive the point home. Um, can we talk about what your life was like? Uh, you mentioned uh, the, the burden of seeing patients, mm -hmm. managing an academic post, which that in and of itself sounds exhausting, but you mentioned there were a number of other elements. Could you mind sharing a little bit about all those aspects? Sure, so I mean, just, just so that we're on the same page, that the direct patient care part of it, seeing people in clinic, doing the surgeries, that part I loved. Gotcha. And okay. though I don't do it now, I do actually miss that part of it. Gotcha. What many people may not realize is that is a small part of the day-to-day -day work that most healthcare professionals are actually doing. Okay. And so, you know, a typical day would be, you'd be waking up anywhere between five, 5.30 in the morning because of when things start for the day. Um, you're gonna, at some point in the day, go around and see patients in the hospital, in the clinic. If it's a surgery day, do surgeries. But then there's all the documentation and all the paperwork that, that comes with every patient encounter. And frequently, not just for me and speaking to many other physicians of all different specialties, that on average would be 
an hour and a half, two hours a day. Wow. You know, you might, you might bundle it so that you spend longer on one day and less, for example, on the weekends doing it, but it's a big time commitment. And that's even before you get to all the emails about questions that patients are contacting your clinic nurses, for example, about, and you're spending in addition to the scheduled day and easily an extra two to three hours a day um, on all of this paperwork, administrative type stuff, which is part and parcel of, of what you need to do in order to make sure that patients are looked after and that, um, you're properly documenting all of the encounters, not just because of the medical legal requirements, but also you need those records for proper patient care because that's what you base future decisions on is being able to see what's happened in the past. Absolutely. And quickly that adds up to a huge amount of the day. And where do we then have the time to do the recovery part that we need so that we can go back the next day? and be at our best. When do you have the time to be with your family, with your hobbies, with all the other parts of life that are necessary in order to be a complete person, which is what allows you to be at your best. And I think just over time for many people, it just sort of chips away and chips away and chips away and and you can easily fall into this place of burnout. Um, There are many Um, surveys of physicians like on publications like Medscape for instance that are self-reported so you would think that it might be an undercounting but up to 40 45 percent of people surveyed are reporting symptoms of burnout of physicians I mean that's crazy to think that in a profession in an industry where the whole purpose is to look after health and wellness we're not looking after the health and wellness of ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that always uh, stuck in my mind. I had many friends who went into medicine and uh, when they would tell me about their residency hours, it always seemed mm-hmm. like, like that didn't make sense to me. It's anybody understands health. It's the physician. And so you're doing these hundred hour plus weeks, these uh, shifts that go into 36 plus 40, you know, 40 yeah. hours. I thought, when was this decision made <laughs> right well yeah it's it's actually very interesting to go back through the history of it and see where this idea of residency came from yeah. and it, it dates back well over well maybe not well over but approximately a century i believe um and the term actually comes from the idea that when this concept was started for training the doctors in training were literally residents of the hospital yeah, they, they would live the there they would sleep there and yeah. I don't know how much they would leave there, but it wasn't a lot. I mean, that's where the term comes from. Right, right. Man, it's incredible. It's, uh, and well, this is just incredibly important work that you're doing, Darren. So um, when you did leave, you set up your consulting business immediately? Yes, yes. Okay. And um, you mentioned earlier that there are other industries that practice some of the activities that help. Uh, mm-hmm. sort of uh, prevent burnout. Um, maybe you, you could enumerate some of those. Well, I think maybe one of the best examples is professional sports. And then we can go into other examples after. But when you kind of think back to many decades ago, um, 
at least the impression I have, never having been in the professional sports world, but as an outsider, it seems like things really started with a lot of emphasis on learning the, the physical skills you would need to do whatever sport it was. Yeah. And then it sort of evolves and there's a lot of physical training and conditioning, strength training and, and cardiovascular training. So adding the exercise portion on in addition to the uh, craft specific skills. And then comes the mental training with the sports psychology and then nutrition and then meditation has come in more recently and then sleep has come in even more recently i think i might be getting the order of things a little bit a little bit incorrect but the idea is is that all of these other areas that are integral to our health and integral to our ability to perform at our best got layered on and you're starting to see that in in business for example where many, in, many businesses have chief wellness officers. Many businesses are starting to incorporate the idea of mindset training for their employees or meditation rooms at the office or um, information about sleep. Um, you have some businesses that are actually taking the concepts of flow state and allowing their employees the flexibility to access that knowing that even though that might result in fewer work hours per se, the productivity per work hour goes up. Yeah, so the net benefit to everybody is there. And yet in healthcare, we, we don't do that. And we almost do the opposite. I mean, I remember talking with um, a close colleague of mine who is an anesthesiologist and also did a lot of intensive care work. So pretty high stress work and talking about the idea of sleep and recovery with them. And, and he just looked at me like, I was speaking another language and I think I probably looked back at him like he was speaking another language because like, what do you mean you don't need to go home and recover? If you spend like eight to 10, maybe 12 hours working with critically ill patients and you got to come back the next day and do the same thing, you better recover when you finish that first day because otherwise you cannot possibly be at your best the next day. And yet that's exactly the paradigm that exists. Unfortunately for a lot of people in healthcare, there's still like this badge of honor that I only sleep three hours or four hours a night. Whereas in much of the business world that used to exist, but now nobody would admit to that because everybody understands that to be at our best, we need that seven to nine hours of sleep. And physicians and surgeons are no different. No, of course. They also need that amount of sleep in order to be at their best. Well, in in many ways, you could argue, Darren, that it's more critical for them because, um, you know, if on the business side, we get a business decision wrong, it's not a person's life at stake. There's usually room to fix a bad business decision. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, no, I I agree with you, Asim. I think that that because of the stakes that are at play, not all the time, but, but certainly a fair bit of the time in healthcare, your, your thought is absolutely correct. In, in many respects, this should be more looked after. Yeah. And, and one of the other things that always found, or that always struck me as being a bit hard to understand is in the healthcare system, over the last 10 to 15 years, the idea of checklists have become a big part of the system as far as before a procedure and at the completion of a procedure, doing a checklist to reduce the potential for errors. And that concept was imported in many ways from the airline industry with what pilots do Mm. before a flight, for example. And I say, okay, well, this is a good idea because we're going down the list of all of the things we need to make sure of in order to be ready to go ahead with a surgery, as an example. 
and they do that for a flight. But also pilots are restricted in the number of hours they can work continuously. They're restricted as far as how much time off they have to have between the end of one flight and the beginning of another. Why aren't we borrowing that idea as well? Exactly. We're right. doing this, the checklist for patient safety. Yeah. Well, having a well-rested surgeon is pretty important for patient safety. Yeah. So why aren't we bor borrowing the, the entire paradigm? And, and that always struck me as a bit hard to understand. I still don't quite understand that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's such a great point you're highlighting. Um, your consulting practice, is it just you or do you have some colleagues? Well, at, at the present time, my specific practice is just me. Okay. And it's something I'm obviously still in the process of developing and, and growing. Okay. But I've, through that work, become affiliated with and connected with a lot of other people really across the world, actually, who are interested in the same ideas uh, that are working in similar capacities, although we don't work in the same business structure. Right. So the, the ideas are similar, but, but the actual practice is, is separate. Right, so it's more like a consortium or a collaborative effort. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which um, is great because um, it's important to be able to support one another, to be able to share ideas, promote one another, and, and just create this large network to try to increase awareness of the importance of all of these ideas sure. and, and to be able to communicate it all. Yeah, I mean, best practices, bouncing ideas, uh, you know, mm -hmm. somebody in another part of the world may have tried something that you're looking into, they have good feedback. Those are, uh, it's a great approach. Um, Darren, who would be an ideal client for you? So I basically have two groups of clients or two categories, and they're unified by this idea of bringing these holistic methods into healthcare. Okay. The one category are patients. And as an orthopedic surgeon, it would be patients with an orthopedic condition. Right. Um, and so what I do for those groups of people is a wide range of services from anything from a one-time second opinion about the orthopedic care they might be receiving to ongoing concierge care, so ongoing care for their conditions. And what I'm gonna to bring to that is not just the orthopedic perspective, but the integration of these holistic methods. So we're gonna bring in these ideas of, well, how do we use mindset training and meditation and sleep and nutrition and exercise to promote wellness, to promote health, or if they're in the midst of being treated for some orthopedic condition to help them recover from that, rehabilitate from that and get back to their life and pursue whatever it is their goals are in life. The other big category are healthcare professionals themselves. And so we're taking the exact same ideas and we're focusing them in a slightly different way onto their daily routines so that they can be working at high performance, which is great for them in their jobs, it's great for their patients, and it's also gonna help decrease their chances for burnout. Yeah. So it's basically two groups of people unified by that common idea of bringing those, health, those holistic methods into the healthcare system. And on the healthcare professional side, they don't have to be orthopedic surgeons, they don't even have to be surgeons. Anybody that's working in the healthcare space is yeah. somebody that I would be interested in in working with for sure. No, um, well, I especially feel or perceive that uh, given our COVID situation, first responders are under particular duress. And uh, I have a good friend of mine, he's uh, an emergency room physician at Cedar sinai mm -hmm. here in Los Angeles. 
And uh, I'd text him every three or four days just to tell him, express gratitude for what he's doing. Um, but he's like, yeah, this is, this is really hard. He, he's like, I'm exposed to COVID every day. I'm isolating myself from my family. So I'm away from my wife and three kids. And, uh, that's having a mental health impact on, on mm -hmm. me, he admits. And, and his wife and his kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's just like, my God, it just, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're good buddies. We, back in the day, we would we would work out together, exercise mm -hmm. together. And here, I feel like I'm I'm living in, in luxury where I don't have to be surrounded by it. I can quarantine and isolate myself. And and here he is, uh, just on the front line. So, um, it's just yeah, it's it's a big uh, strain. So um, I wonder if maybe there's some organizations that are supportive of first responders that might. Uh, need your services or, or your help um just like when you even like county fire departments or police uh departments is that an area that you might explore sure i, I think prior to COVID, it wasn't necessarily something that that had come to mind because you kind of have to focus things to some degree but i think mm -hmm. that this whole situation for all of us as, as we get into like month five of all of this, it's hard to believe it's been going on that long, is that this, this need extends out past healthcare and, and I would be happy to, to talk with or be involved with, with people who are interested in bringing these holistic methods into their, into their area of work. Yeah. Um, I think within the healthcare space, a unique aspect that I can bring is that understanding of how for example, for a healthcare professional, what their daily routine is like at work yep. and how you can integrate all of these ideas into that daily routine. For a first responder, I don't have that firsthand knowledge, so I can't help with that kind of integration so much, but the concepts are equally important yeah. and equally applicable. Right. So we can certainly go through a lot of the ideas and principles, uh, but that added piece of being able to say, and, and this is how you can make this a part of your day and I know what your day is like because I've lived your day before. I, I don't have that outside of healthcare. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, I think anybody that, that is interested in in integrating these ideas into their into their life is by all means somebody I'd be interested in in talking with and, and seeing how we might be able to help them with that. No, that's great. Now, uh, Darren, do you make a distinction uh, in, in your use of the term holistic versus like functional or integrative medicine? Um, no, to me, and, and I'm sure people have different ideas on this and, and might have specific definitions for each, but, but to me, the similarities are far greater than the differences between, you know, functional medicine versus integrative medicine versus holistic methods. I, I think the important idea is that we are looking at comprehensive overall health and the determinants of that. And we're looking to promote health and wellness. We're not looking at that traditional centuries old medical model of identify what's wrong and treat what's wrong and then wait for the next thing that's wrong to come up. Right. Rather, we're looking to try to promote wellness and health to the greatest degree possible. And to me, it's less important whether we call that holistic methods or integrative medicine or functional medicine. To me, it's more important the concepts of what we're talking about. Yeah, no, Although I'm sure other people might have different opinions on that. But, but for me, that's the importance is, is are the ideas, yeah. less so the, the title. Absolutely. Well, and um, 
in some discussions with other uh, physicians who identify specifically as functional medicine or integrative medicine practitioners, they've highlighted how um, so much effort is being expended on uh, avoiding um, coming into contact with the virus. But one thing we can all do is uh, kind of enhance our lifestyle and, mm -hmm. and improve mm -hmm. our wellness so that if we do come into contact with it, the, uh, the ensuing uh, infection uh, may not be as bad. Yeah, no, you're 100% correct. I, I completely agree with you. And I think it, this current example really can drive home for people this difference between the traditional medical model and whether we're calling it functional, integrative, or holistic methods, the difference there. Yeah. And in the traditional model, it's exactly like what you said. It's more along the lines of, well, here's some things to do to prevent getting an infection. And it's about avoiding it. It's not about increasing your wellness, but we're really going to emphasize on how are we going to treat it if it happens. Whereas on the holistic side, we can say, yep, we've got all of this stuff. And here are the things we can do if the infection were to develop. But here's a bunch of things that you can do lifestyle wise that are going to make you healthier, that are going to improve your immune function. And hopefully if you're exposed to this virus are going to either allow your immune system to fight it off because your immune system's working at you know full capacity or if you do get infected with it your immune system because it's working at full capacity can fight it off and, and you have more mild symptoms and you're less at risk of having the complications and of course death and i think there's been perhaps a missed opportunity with a lot of the recommendations that we're all hearing from various experts about what we can be doing. We hear a lot about social distancing, which of course is important. We hear a lot about wearing masks, especially when we can't social distance, which of course is very important. What we don't hear as much about is, hey, let's make sure that you're having a really good diet, that you're getting good nutrition because your immune system needs the nutrition in order to function mm -hmm. properly. Mm -hmm. Hey, let's make sure to the extent you can, you're getting enough sleep Right. because the immune system needs rest and recovery in order to work at optimal capacity. Hey, let's make sure you're doing what you can to manage your stress, because we all know that when we're stressed, our immune systems work less optimally. And we haven't had as much discussion about those aspects. And it's hard because when you're staying at home or quarantining, getting enough groceries, getting enough access to food can be very difficult. The stress we're all under can make sleep very difficult. It doesn't mean, though, that we should ignore all of those factors. We should still be talking about them and, and trying to give people ideas of the things they might be able to do to help with um, those areas because it's going to improve their wellness, which is only going to improve their body's ability to deal with this virus should they come in contact with it. Yeah. No, absolutely. And thank you for sharing your perspective on that. Um, you know, another area that I see uh, in medicine is um, a lot more telemedicine is being practiced. Mm -hmm. um, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, ab absolutely. I think that, that telehealth and telemedicine were becoming a bigger area pre-COVID. Uh, the VA system was making pretty good use of it, I think. Mm -hmm. um, although I've never worked in that system, but that's my understanding. And once COVID hit and, and all the non-urgent medical clinics and, and offices and all basically were closed, 
a lot how to convert to telehealth and telemedicine. And I think we're starting to see that there's a lot of advantages, both for patients and for healthcare professionals, in using the telehealth telemedicine platforms on a wider, wider basis. Yeah. It's more convenient for patients. Patients that might live more remotely can have access to specialty care that otherwise, at least in person, might only exist in larger centers. Uh, for healthcare providers, you can sort of adjust schedules a little bit easier because now you don't have to fit everybody, all your patients into a particular clinic slot. You can use the telehealth platforms to have better access and interactions with patients. Um, there's a lot of advantages to it. It probably is a lot cheaper, although I personally have not done any costing studies of it, but I have read some analyses that suggested it overall might be cheaper for the system. Mm. And, and so there are definitely a lot of advantages. Um, and hopefully that's one of the silver linings that comes out of this whole pandemic is that we found a way to innovate the way healthcare is delivered to incorporate the technologies that exist. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. It's actually been a particular boon for me and my family. Uh, my son is a aplastic anemia survivor. Um, he's actually been through two bone marrow transplants, and he, uh, we still haven't tapered him off his immunosuppression medication yet. So, of course, in, in this environment, I mean, we were hypervigilant. We sure. had him out of school before they shut the schools down. Mm -hmm. um, just have a protocol at home. Like right now, I'm in a recording studio, but we have our, our home arranged where I will I get there, remove my external clothes, and shower and then interact with him um, right. and and he will you know have contact with the home clo with the external clothes they'll get uh, laundered and washed and so forth um, but uh, you know he still has some uh, graft versus host disease issues uh, particularly dermatological and so um, telemedicine has been a, a savior because we the, the only way we've been able to treat it um, of course, we, we had an issue where he wasn't responding to topical solutions. So we did actually have to take him into the clinic this past week. But the uh, the dermatologist was very accommodating. He had us come during the lunch hour when there was nobody there except uh, minimal staff. and, and right. him. Um, But um, yeah, I think that uh, in a setting like now, it's, it's, it's critically important. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm hopeful that the increased use of telehealth will continue uh, following the pandemic because there's there's just so many advantages to it yeah. for everyone, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Darren, uh, what would an ideal uh, medical delivery of medical care system look like for you? Well, I, I think our system has many strong points to it. I think that our ability to identify illnesses and to treat many of those illnesses is very strong. What I would love to see in an ideal world is an add-on to all of that. And that would be to have other people involved with the healthcare professionals to talk with patients where appropriate about some of these other methods to promote their health and wellness, to talk with them about meditation, about mindset training, sleep, nutrition, exercise, in more than just a passing fashion, but in a way that provides information, perhaps provides ongoing follow-up to help people integrate this into their daily routines and to also integrate it with whatever healthcare treatments they're getting for whatever conditions they're receiving. 
So I think that would be one part. And I think another part would be on a population level to really start having the conversation about the things that we all can be doing to promote our own, our own wellness. Um, because we can make the healthcare system as robust as possible, but at the end of the day, the real big benefit is going to come from having as healthy a population as we can possibly have, yeah, which isn't just about treating the diseases, it's about promoting the health and wellness and preventing many of these diseases in the first place. Yeah. Understanding that some things we can't prevent. Some yeah. things are gonna happen because of genetics, because of accidents that happen, um, and we need a good, strong healthcare system for that. But there's also a lot of things, a lot of illnesses, conditions that exist currently that perhaps could have been prevented, or at least the severity lessened had there been more of a focus on the, on the promotion of health and wellness. And, and I think that's a really important component as well. Right, right. Well, and I could also imagine you'd advocate for uh, shorter shifts for uh, healthcare providers, as well as uh, recovery time mandated in between shifts. Yeah, I, I think part of all of that is training the, the healthcare providers and professionals about the things they need to be doing to look after themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, there's that great analogy that gets used about self-care and people saying, well, isn't it kind of selfish? It's like, well, when you're on the airplane and, you know, the oxygen masks come down, they tell you, well, you've got to put on yours before you help someone else. Because if you're not looked after, you can't be of service to anybody else. And, and so that has to be a big part of it. You're absolutely right. Uh, and changing the paradigm for healthcare professionals about the things that, that they should be doing um, so that they can be at their best, not only for themselves, but for their patients as well. Yeah. I think we've had a great conversation and hit really the important points of, of why it's so important, so critical really for, for us as a, as a society. And I'm not just talking within the United States, but really across the world to, to really integrate these, whether again, we're calling it integrative medicine or holistic methods into all of our routines, that all of us as humans will be at our best, will be better able to look after our loved ones and our friends, pursue all of our goals and passions in life if our health and wellness is as great as possible. And, and so we should be doing the things we can to promote that and develop that. And fortunately, there's a lot of information out there about how we can do that. It's all things we can control through our routines and our habits. So it's available to everybody. And bringing that into the healthcare system as well, because um, we need that for our patients and we need that for our healthcare professionals um, moving forward. That's so fantastic. That's a great way to, uh, to end it. Again, Darren, thank you so much for taking the time. You've been uh, very generous with your insights. It's really appreciated. Well, thank you, Esteem. It's been great talking with you. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.